Trinity Dallas. We pray that this message will be a source of encouragement and hope in your life today. Enjoy today's message. My name is Matthew Rowland, and on behalf of our founding pastors, Joe and Nancy, I want to thank you for joining us in person today, as well as those of you who are joining with us online. I'm confident, I've been praying, and believe with all my heart that God's got something, at least one thing for each and every person that's here with us today, that's watching online. But to build your faith and to get in agreement with the Holy Spirit, let's pray and invite him to give us that nugget, that truth, that thing that's going to help us grow as disciples. Will you bow your heads and let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we honor you. We thank you that even though Jesus left the earth, you came to take his place and you're with us now and always. And we remember that part of your role is to guide us into truth, to open up the scriptures and help us understand and fill us with faith to obey the things that we learn. Help us in this time. We acknowledge our need for more of you. Please help us to grab a hold of at least one thing today that we can apply to our lives and grow as followers of Jesus because we came. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Today's message is, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. The subtitle is Remembering Good Times at Gilgal. Gilgal is a place in Israel on the other side uh, of the Jordan River, on the west side of the Jordan River. This is part one of a two-part series about Thanksgiving. This is our Thanksgiving series. And I'm gonna try to cover everything I possibly can, but whatever I forget or leave out, Pastor Robert is gonna come back in two weeks to clean up the mess. Yeah, our beloved, amazing hero, Pastor Robert, has got part two of the Thanksgiving message. And today, my goal, I've got two objectives in my mind that I really wanna try to push on y'all today, okay? I've got two, I've got an agenda. I've got some objectives. You want to hear what they are? Okay, the first one is this. I, is this, I want to challenge you to obey. Everybody say obey. obey. Everybody loves that word. I want to challenge you to obey 1 Thessalonians 5.18, where it teaches us, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Whether you dropped a hammer on your foot, or you got a flat tire, or you got fired, Somehow, some way, God wants us to give thanks in all those kind of circumstances. Or maybe you got an answer to prayer. Or maybe a friend blessed you. Whether it's challenging or awesome, God says, I want you to learn how to give thanks in all of these kind of circumstances. When we meet as a family, we have family devotionals most nights during the week. And when we finish our meal, we begin our devotional time by going around. Everybody shares one thing that they're thankful for. It's fun to watch the progression from the five-year-olds who's thankful for dinner, Daisy, our dog, and the weather. Those same three things keep coming up. As they get older, they start to branch out and realize, wait, there's a lot more to be thankful for than just my dog, my dinner, and the day. There's a lot. The more, the more you give thanks, the more you realize you have to be thankful for. Okay, so we, we do this as a practice, as a family, but the more you do it, the easier it gets and the more your eyes are open to, wow, God is in so much more than I ever realized. I want to challenge you to obey this verse not just uh, begrudgingly, but joyfully and with enthusiasm, right? With a smile on your face, knowing that God is in it. And it's a treasure just to obey his word. And the other thing I want you to do is something a little bit more practical. And that is to inspire you to pause, remember, and give thanks to God in meaningful and memorable ways. So we're going to get into that here in just a little bit. I'll explain more what I'm talking about. But did you know there's a whole host of benefits for being thankful? When you say thank when you say thank you. There's scientific 
studies that have been done that, that give us a list of benefits for being thankful. Let me give you just a few of these, okay? The first thing that being thankful does is it reduces irritability, depression, anxiety, stress, and anger, right? Yeah, that, that, yes and amen, that's from me. Reduce those things in my life. When you're thankful, it improves your physical and psychological health. Just saying thank you. It, it boosts your immune system. It's like, a, it's like a vaccine. It's like an ibuprofen. It helps you overcome sicknesses that come against you. Be, just being thankful. It increases mental strength and fortitude. It cultivates humility and empathy. When I say thank you to someone, I'm acknowledging that I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be blessed the way I am if it weren't for you. It humbles you. It draws you close to other people. It connects you to the recipient of your thanks. And here's one of my favorite ones. It releases oxytocin into your body. Do you know what oxytocin is? It's the love hormone, right? So all the husbands lean over and whisper to their wives, thank you. Right. Now, if you didn't say it like Barry White, it may not do anything, but the, the idea is sound. It's scientific fact. Okay, try it at home later tonight. So here's the big idea. The big idea is this. When we pause, remember, and give thanks to the Lord for all he's done, it draws us closer to God, helps us shake off the discouragement of our current circumstances, and it builds faith and confidence in us for the future. So the passage we're gonna read, and I'm gonna read it. You're gonna hang in there with me. It's okay if you yawn once, just not twice. We're gonna read out of Joshua chapter three and Joshua chapter four, not the whole passage, but this is the story of when the Israelites crossed the Jordan River. It's been 40 years since they were in Egypt. God miraculously delivered his people from Pharaoh and his army and took them through the Red Sea, another miraculous event. But there was only two people left that actually saw those things happen with their own eyes, Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else had passed away, all the older generation had passed away in the wilderness. More than a million people had crossed through the desert of Sinai wearing the same sketchers on their feet and the same burlap sacks on their backs that they got when they were slaves. They had been surviving on manna. Manna literally means what is it? Because that's what the Israelites said to God when they went outside and saw his provision. God, what is that? We're supposed to eat that on the ground for 40 years? He's like, yep, that's what I got for you. No fish, no onions, no vegetables, no fruit, no Chick-fil-A for 40 years? And it's a wonder that more of them just didn't turn back at that moment but they couldn't get back across the Red Sea, so they were stuck, right? They buried their fathers and their grandfathers, and here they were once again on the edge of an impassable body of water. See, it says in the passage that the Jordan River was at flood stage, so it was more than 100 feet wide, 10 feet deep. 100 feet wide, that's how far west can throw a football. Yeah, really wide, really deep, okay? You couldn't just swim across it. I once tried to swim in the Mississippi to get to the middle. Long story short, I almost died. It is treacherous to get in a dangerous river, not to mention drag your kids and your carts and your animals and your donkeys with you, okay? God wanted this new generation to build faith by giving them a brand new miracle. He planned for them to see his might and power just like their fathers and their grandfathers in the past. You see, God could have taken them the direct route from Egypt where they were slaves. Let's go ahead and take a look at the map. See, they were, they were here in Ramses. They could have just kind of skirted the Mediterranean and followed the way to the land of the Philistines, went through modern-day Gaza into the promised land. 
But a long story short, they were disobedient and God changed the plan as a result. So they wandered out here in the desert, saw God's faithfulness and provision, but got a lot of sunburns and kicked their feet on a lot of rocks. Then eventually after 40 years, they make their way to the east side of modern day Israel. And they're up there right around between 17 and 18 on the other side of the Jordan River. That's where we find them as this story begins. And in that map, you don't see it, but off to the right over here in the orange space, maybe over the black space, that's Iraq. So God put them between Iraq and a hard place. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank, thank you, I appreciate that. They're here between Iraq and a hard place. Joshua chapter three, verse nine. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. And as soon as the priests carry, verse 13, as soon as the priests carry the, the ark of the Lord, as soon as they set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So the, the, the priest is supposed to take the ark, stand, get their feet wet, and just by faith, trust that somewhere up, up river, the water was gonna stop and do a big heap, right? So that's a whole nother message. They had to, by faith, put their feet in the water, waiting for the river to stop. But here they are. This is the circumstance they're in. Verse 15, now the Jordan is at flood stage during all harvest. And yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. God totally dried it up. It wasn't even slippery and slimy. There was no dead fish there. There was dry, ready for them to walk through. Uh, all Israel then passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. You see, they're walking through a miracle and they're walking past a miracle. The priests are holding the Ark of the Covenant. What was inside of the Ark? A jar of manna, their miracle provision. There was Aaron's rod. He got in a big argument with some bad guys and God caused his rod to grow flowers and make almonds. It was a miracle, it was a demonstration. I, I'm with this guy, Aaron, over here. That stick got thrown in the, in the Ark. Okay, that's, that's in there as well as the Ten Commandments, which God wrote with his own hand. So they're walking through a miracle. They're waving at the ark, which itself is a miracle. And they're headed to the other side on dry ground. Joshua chapter four, verse one. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among you, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests were standing. And carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you're going to stay tonight. Gilgal, that's where they were going to on the other side of the river. So Joshua had the guys go and get their rocks. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord into the middle of Jordan. Each one is to take up a stone on his shoulder. And this wasn't just a little rock in your pocket. This was something heavy that they had to exert some effort to, something that would be substantial. Take it up with you to the other side to serve as a sign among you. Verse 20, chapter 4. Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. You see, some of the things that God tells you to do may or may not make sense today. They're for a future generation. God is a multi-generational God. He wanted not just them to see a miracle, but he wanted an example for them to teach their kids to remember as well. Verse 24, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Hey, sweetheart. 
God told him to collect these 12 stones. That's my wife, by the way, in case you're wondering. She was over the other camp, but you get all credit. Yep, you get credit in heaven, sweetheart. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, so they take these 12 stones, they build a monument, a memorial, a reminder of what God had done. And this is just one of many examples in the scripture that we have of God telling his people to stop and to remember. It says in 1 Corinthians, these things, referring to the Old Testament, these things, the Old Testament stories, were written for your example, written to instruct you. So here we see a pattern that is carried out throughout the scriptures in the Old and in the New Testament of remembering, pausing, stopping, thinking about intentionally what God has already done. So in the Old Testament, we see all sorts of feasts. We see the Feast of Tabernacle, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Passover, where they paused and had a very special meal and remembered how the lambs were sacrificed and God rescued them out of Egypt. They were to carry this on for the rest of their days. All these different uh, times that they pause as a community to remember what God had done. Every year, in the case of the Sabbath, every year, he also gives them the, the Sabbath day. Every week, one out of every seven days, pause and remember the creator, the maker of the universe. Stop, remember what God has done. Every 50 years, they get to celebrate the year of Jubilee where all their debts are wiped clean. Every 50 years, over and over, once in a generation, you get to remember your debts being wiped away. You know, communion in the New Testament that we observe as a church family is another example of that. Jesus said, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Now, we as a church family, we observe communion the first Sunday of every month, but that doesn't mean you can't do it as a family with your friends. And when you pause and eat and drink, remember the Lord, stop and remember. Remembering is a fundamental part of pursuing God, pursuing him, remembering the past, what the Lord has done. That doesn't mean you drag all your dirty laundry and your baggage with you, but you do drag with you, hopefully carry on your shoulder a remembrance of God's faithfulness and his answers to prayer in your life. So there's three things, three reasons I wanna give you today why God tells us to remember the past. These aren't all the possible options, but these are three very good reasons why we should remember and give thanks. Number one is when we pause, remember, and give thanks to God, it draws us near to him, brings us right back. Because I don't know about you, but my mind tends to wander. I'm extremely forgetful. I, I, I get stuck in the weeds sometimes that when I'll pause and obey his commands, it'll bring me back in close to fellowship with him. And it's not that God has gone anywhere. He hasn't left. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all at the same time. Psalm 139, I can't, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and sit on the other side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. He doesn't go anywhere, but I'm over here in the weeds all, a lot of time. So God says, pause and remember, brings me right back to where he met me in the past. It stirs up those feelings. It helps me remember the goodness of God. It's like when you go to your 50th anniversary, uh, your high school reunion, like Pastor Robert did a couple weeks ago. He hadn't seen some of those friends for years, but when he sat down at the table, they remembered all the good times they had, the football games that they won, the ones that they, the, the refs cheated them out of winning, the teachers that were rough on them. They, it's, it's like they're right, transported right back to 1942 in high school, right? <laughs> Right, right back to those good times. They remember, they feel those feelings. And it's, 
Good for them. It connects them close to one another. In the same way, remembering what God has done is like a tractor being that brings us back near to the Lord. Not that he's gone anywhere, but it helps us to remember that he's right there, has been the whole time. When we remember what the Lord has done, it helps us draw near to the Lord. Reason number two, when we pause, remember, and give thanks for what the Lord has done, it helps us shake off the discouragement of our current circumstances. Helps us just, okay, yeah, I'm going through this, but God is bigger and he's with me. It helps us just shake the dust off, okay? So all these millions of people with their carts and their donkeys and their kids and their stuff are descending. You know, rivers, they kind of got a riverbank. You got to walk down and there might be tripping and stumbling and the, some, some bent ankles, maybe. I don't know. I'm, you know, it's possible. They're dragging their kids along. They're donkeys that don't want to follow. This is difficult. This is frustrating. And this is what God had called them to do, right? They were walking through a miracle, past a miracle in the ark, but they also knew, okay, I'm going to get dust all over my, my pantaloons and I'm going to go have to fight in Jericho. These guys got a massive wall. They're ready to fight. They have weapons of warfare. They have the distinct advantage. And we're, yeah, it's a miracle, but we're, we're going to fight another battle. This does not sound fun, God. Why did you choose to have us do this? The only thing we have to fight with is trumpets, instruments, and shepherd's crooks, right? That was their arsenal. They didn't stop anywhere in the desert and forge a bunch of weapons for this fight, which they thought they were about to fight. Ironically, it wasn't even gonna be a fight, right? We know the story. We know they were crossing over, setting up their monument, their memorial, and then when they, were thought, they thought they were going to a fight, it was actually just a praise march, right? They spent seven days praising God, marching around the city. Not a sword was drawn on their part. Not an arrow was shot. Not a rock was slung. And God brought down the walls of Jericho and their enemy fled before them. God knew. He knew what he was doing. They thought they knew it was gonna happen. But God wanted to let them know, hey, build this memorial. Know that I'm with you. It helps you. Okay, God did that. He didn't, he didn't take me through that just so I could falter at this wall in front of me. He didn't deliver me through that and answer that prayer and do this miracle and help me then just to watch me fail now. He is too good. He's my father. He loves me. He's for me. He's with me. He's not setting me up for failure. He's just asking me to trust him. Okay. So they were probably grumbling along the way. That's why he says, stop and remember, build this monument. I am with you. Remembering, thanking God and memorializing what he's already done will help replace negative thoughts in the lying voice of the enemy. Who's always whispering. He's really, he's really good at one thing, the devil is. Lying to us, whispering lies. If he can get us to believe his lies, then he's got power. But that's the only power he really has. He's a really, really good liar. And he sits there on our shoulders, arguing with our experiences, debating the scriptures and challenging what the Holy Spirit has told us to do. He's really good at that. We just need to be aware. G.I. Joe taught me in the 80s that knowing is half the battle. If I remember that, okay, that's just the voice of the enemy. God is good. He's with me. I'm going to shake off those feelings by remembering what God has already done. Looking back at previous victories resurrects those feelings of triumph and joy and relief and overcoming. When we realize we're down, depressed, and discouraged, we need to remember, force ourselves to remember what God has already done. In the book of Psalms, David wrote many of the Psalms, but several Psalms are also written by the sons of Korah. These were some of the praise leaders, the worship leaders in the Old Testament. One of the Psalms they wrote says this that applies to what we're talking about today. Psalm 42, verse four through six. 
The sons of Korah said this, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. He's complaining, he's frustrated, he's discouraged. I'm pouring out my soul. How he used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God. He remembers the times where they were praising God and he was in charge and they were going out with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Remember, the devil's whispering discouraging things. The flesh is whispering discouraging things. But he's asking the question because he knows the answer. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's like Dr. Jesus has heard your troubles and he sat down with you and he knows you're going through a hard time. You're not feeling good. You're down. You're discouraged. You're depressed. You're in the dumps. Your soccer team's not winning. I mean, your football team. And he said, you know what? I've got just the answer for you. He will write you a prescription. Remember pause and give thanks. Here you go. That's going to fix you right up. Just, just like that. All you need to do. Going through a hard time, frustrated, mad, upset. Things aren't going the way you want. Hold up. Dr. Jesus here. There you go, Monica. Just remember what I've already done. I'm with you. Nothing has changed. You're still my daughter. I'm going to take care of you. Just trust me. Just remember what I've already done because I'm going to do it again. Amen. Uh, so these uh, 12 stones that the Israelites had put up would be a reminder to them for then and for the future of God. He's going to help them shake off their current discouraging circumstances, going through this dusty river with all their stuff to a battle that they don't actually have to fight. It's going to help them build up and fortify them. And by the way, he's going to, the river's going to come back. So there's no going back. So they have no choice but to trust God. Reason number three, when we pause, remember, and give thanks for what the Lord has done, we build faith and confidence for the future. God's not random. He knows exactly what he's doing. There's a reason why they're building this memorial. This new generation needed something to hang their hat on, something to remind, something to point back to. God did that. He can do it again for us. They may not have seen the Moses miracles. They may not have watched Pharaoh die. They may not have seen the Passover in Egypt, but they had eaten of the manna and now they saw this miracle in their rear view miracle. Uh, mirror, rear view mirror, which is a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> Pausing to build the monument and meditate on what, God, on what God had done would fill them with faith and confidence for the future. Revelation 12, 11 says this. They triumph, talking about you and I, Christians, followers of Jesus. They triumph by the blood of the lamb, what Jesus did at the cross, and no person, no man, no devil could ever, ever undo. By faith, we are translated into eternity. We are now citizens of the kingdom of heaven rescued, saved forever by by what Jesus did. How do we overcome the enemy? It says right here, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So we shut the voice of the enemy up when we declare the goodness of God, when we share our testimony, when we make these monuments, these memorials. See, this is important because someone may be able to battle with you about scriptures or question your faith or doubt the the validity of the Bible, but they can't argue with your experience. They can't take away what you have personally gone through. They can't deny the reality that God did miracles in your life. You may not be able to go toe-to-toe apologetically, but you can stand strong and fast in your faith when you just refer back to, well, I know what God did for me. I don't know about all that you're saying, but I know what God did for me. No one can ever take away the reality that our 10th child, Chloe Truth Rowland, we got a sonogram from the doctor that had her in a position in the womb. How many weeks old was she? Eight weeks old. 
She was in a position where if we allowed the pregnancy to continue on, it would have cost the baby her life, Chloe's life, and Jane. That's what the doctor told us. said, your baby is in, is in uh, uh, the position this child is in is not viable, not sustainable. Jane will die, the baby will die. You, need, you have one week to make a decision. That's what our doctor had delivered almost all of our other babies told us. We came to the prayer warriors, to Joy Lindsay, Pastor Joe, the team at Trinity. We prayed, we believed God, we trusted God for a miracle. We'd never been in a position like that before. We never even had to think that thought before that we would have to choose between the life of Chloe and the life of Jane. That was a very challenging week. We went back a week or 10 days later, we got another sonogram. True story, miracle of miracles. Somehow, some way, the baby had replanted itself. Chloe had been replanted to a different part of the womb, which does not happen. Well, once, what, what's that, Pastor? Somehow, some way. So this is a miracle. This is a bun. We got the picture. We, you know, this doesn't happen. Once the baby's planted in the womb, that's where it grows, and that's where, wow. somehow, some way, our baby Chloe was moved from one spot of the womb to another. We have the we have the pictures to show it. And the coolest part of the story is that when she was born, she had, she had this, it's almost like a watermark. It looks very similar to a, a handprint on her side. You know, it's very faint, but you can see it. It's distinct. It's there. And, and the story we believe is that an angel from, sent by God moved Chloe from one spot in the womb to another. And we have that little reminder constantly. So the devil can't take that away from me. You can't ever tell me there's not a God because this is just one of many miracles that we have personally experienced and see. There's a reason why God wants you to remember the miracles and the answered prayers. He doesn't, he doesn't need you to be the smartest person in the room and go toe-to-toe with all the people arguing against you. You don't even need to go toe-to-toe with the devil, is it not? Look what God has done for me. He's gonna do it again. The blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. I know God is real. I know he answers prayers. I know he's with me. And if he did it then, he's not setting me up for failure. He's not some sadistic father that just wants me to fail at the finish line. That is not the God we worship, love, and serve. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is with us, for us, loves us. And not only in this world will we triumph, but we will triumph in the life to come. It's important that we pause and remember and give thanks and memorialize these things in our lives. It helps us overcome in the future. Because we will face more challenges, more enemies, more walls, and more battles. We need to be girded up and strengthened in our faith. And the way, one of the ways we do that is by remembering what God has already done. When God does a miracle, pause and make a monument, a memorial, a memory, a memento. Remember, give thanks for what God has done in your life. I want to give you a couple examples. Of course, we talked about communion. That's a regular reminder that we as believers, we observe communion on a regular basis. We remember what Jesus did with his blood for you and I. We go into the waters of baptism. It's a command in scriptures for us as followers of Jesus to follow him just like he was baptized. We are baptized too. That's a a moment in time. That's a memorial. That's a monument. I want to show you a picture when I was baptized at all at uh, Grace Church of Edina in Edina, Minnesota. Look at that. Is my son here today? We have the same haircut. He does say, as I, I don't think he's here right now. He, yeah, it looks just like my son right there. He wears it better than I do for sure. Take a look at this young lady at six years old getting baptized by her dad. Oh, you were 11? 11 years old, made a profession of faith, went to the waters. The devil can't take that away. You drew a line in the sand. You stepped over it, told the devil, see ya. I'm following Jesus into the waters of baptism. 
At our house, we have two TVs and we have Apple TV boxes connected to both of them. And they're constantly uh, streaming pictures of our family, of all the good times, of the fun memories, the things that we got to enjoy together. Why? Because I learned a long time ago, you don't take pictures of the flat tires and the scuffed knees and the broken fingers. You take pictures of the fun, awesome experiences and the answers to prayers and the memories that you have as a family. So we are brainwashing our kids day in and day out, reminding them, you have an amazing life. You have a blessed life. You do fun things. You go on adventures. God is with you. Your mom and dad love you. So does your father in heaven. That's just a simple thing that we do. You can do to all sorts of different devices, but that's what we do at our house, just to brainwash ourselves and remind us of the goodness of the Lord. We also have at our house what we call the wall of remembrance. So this little shelf is right next to our dining room table. And these artifacts, these mementos represent answered prayers in the life of our family. For example, the bottom right side, chubby little baby, that's Tessa, she's my niece. My brother and his wife tried for five years to conceive a child. After five years and tens and thousands of dollars later without conceiving, they finally gave up. We had been praying for more than five years for a miracle for them. After six months, they conceived. They'd given up, thrown in the towel, and all of a sudden they're had baby Tessa, and they've added baby Nora as well. So we have that picture up there to remind us as a family that Elizabeth and Anna and Abby and Becca and Matthew and Jane, we prayed for this and hear this miracle is living in the flesh. They come and visit every year. There's my son with his nice hair. Uh, so that's just one of the items. Now, I'm not gonna tell you all the stories there, but that baseball right there is very, very special to me. I got that with Pastor Robert and Pastor Joe at a Texas Rangers game. See, when I was a kid, I followed the Minnesota Twins, watched them win two World Series, went to many of their games, never caught a foul ball or a home run ball. Even though I'd ask and prayed, God, please just let me catch a ball. (laughs) Who's ever prayed that prayer? It's just me. Never got a ball, forgot about that prayer, moved to Texas, start to follow the Rangers, go to this baseball game with Pastor Robert and Pastor Joe. I hear the crack of the bat as I'm watching. I thought right before I heard the crack of the bat from one of the Rangers players, I thought to myself, I better put my phone down. Maybe today's the day. I'd forgotten about those prayers and here I was. I gotta be careful. I don't wanna get hit in the head. I hear the crack of the bat. The ball comes screaming right in our direction. Pastor Joe goes like this. Ah! <laughs> Pastor Robert went like this. Ah! It's like they were being melted by some wicked witch. They just shrank away in fear, trembling. They were so scared. What did Matthew do? Matthew stood up strong, put his left hand out, watched his screaming ball just crack right into my hand, just smoking hot, caught just blazing, blazing line drive in my head. Couldn't feel anything for five minutes, and then it was just throbbing in pain. I'm not lying to you, because he was right there. Watched the whole thing happen. I don't have the picture not this time. But the point is, I'd forgotten about that prayer. I'd forgotten that I'd asked God so many years ago and God just to show up said, here's what I'm gonna do, Matthew. You forgot about that prayer. I'm gonna go ahead and answer it for you 40 years after you forgot about it. And like a man, I caught that ball and I put it on my shelf. (laughs) This God answers forgotten prayers, amen. So, so we'll take some time during our family devotionals. We'll, we'll pause from time to time and ask one of the kids to take one of those artifacts, just pass it around and tell the story of what God did. Remind us what this miracle was. Remember for us, tell us uh, what God did that this memento symbolizes. One, one last thing, one last example I wanna give you. And look, you're smart people. You're creative people. You don't need me. You don't need to do what I do. These are just examples or ideas of what what I do personally, what we do as a family. But one of the easiest ones 
that I still do and have been doing for many, many years. I actually learned this from Jane. Jane started a thankful journal way back in 2005, 2007. So I copy my wife. She's really smart. She has great ideas. I started writing down what I call the year in review. So this is just a a one-page piece of paper I keep in my Bible, got the year at the top, and I've got on this side all the blessings that we've enjoyed, that I personally enjoyed, answers to prayer, miracles that have happened, cool things that we get to remember. And on the other side, I have challenges. Okay, I write down the challenges because in, in a very similar way, just like God was a bit with me in the blessings and the answers to prayers, he's with me in the challenges. These are, this is a list of things that God has seen me through and our family through in 2023. And I try to keep it to one page. I'll type it up, scan it, keep it in my files. But I'll take 2023 and I'll put it right in the front of my journal for 2024. Okay? So I can quickly refer back to when I'm discouraged, depressed, down in the dumps, and I got that prescription from Jesus. Here you go. Remember what the Lord has already done. I'll just flip to the front of my journal. And look, well, it, I could go back all the way to 2005, but let me just start with 2023. This is what God did. Thank you. You're with me. You haven't forgotten about me. You've taken me through all that. You're not going to leave me at the wall now. It's just a simple thing that any one of us could employ or do as a way to pause, remember, and give thanks for what God has already done. Pause, remember, make monuments and memorials and give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. In October 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, Army pilot and his crew were on a mission flying a U.S. Army B-17. We kind of look the same, right? (laughs) Which, by the way, thank you for all of our veterans, those of you who served in the forces. We appreciate you. Grateful for you. As many of you in this room, I, I, I don't want to call everybody out, but you know, right here uh, in our midst, we've got Tom, who is a fighter pilot and a fighter trainer with the United States Air Force. We appreciate you and all of those of you who served in the services on behalf of our country and us personally. We're grateful for you. Uh, Captain Rickenbacker was flying to deliver a message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. His plane got lost. They ran out of fuel. They had to crash land in the Pacific Ocean, hundreds of miles from anything and from anyone. They had meager supplies, three lifeboats, and they managed to keep all their crew intact. Nobody died in the crash, but they were stuck in the middle of nowhere. They were desperate for a miracle in order to survive, and a miracle is what they got. I want to read this to you, and this comes as an answer to Captain Rickenbacker's prayers. This is out of his uh, autobiography. The eighth day in the water was hot, flat, and calm. It didn't help our stomachs any to look down and see dolphin and mackerel and sea bass, sleek and fat, 12 to 18 inches long, and thousands of smaller fish swimming right beyond arm's reach. They were starving. I was dozing, falling asleep with my hat pulled down over my eyes when miraculously out of nowhere, a seagull landed on my hat. I reached up for him with my right hand gradually. The whole Pacific Ocean seemed to be shaking from the agitation in my body. He was so nervous. He couldn't believe he had this opportunity. But I could tell he was still up there because of the eyes of everybody watching me. Slowly and surely, I got my hand up around the seagull. I didn't clutch, but just closed my fingers, sensing his nearness, and I had him in my hand. 
I wrung his neck, defeathered him, carved up the body, divided the meat into equal shares, holding back only the intestines for bait. Even the bones were chewed up and swallowed by my crewmates. No one hesitated because they knew this was an answer to our prayers. It tasted fine. After Lieutenant Cherry had finished his piece, I baited a hook and passed it over to him. The hook waited with the wedding ring of Lieutenant Whitaker, hardly got wet before a small mackerel hit it and we yanked him into the raft. I dropped the other line over the other side with the same miraculous result, pulling in a sea bass. All this food in the space of a few minutes bolstered us beyond words. We ate one of the fish before dark and put the other one aside for the very next day. I say this in all truth, that at no time did I ever doubt we would be saved. Later in the book, you see he gives credit to God in answering his prayers. But as that eighth night rose around us, I was sure we would last forever. The ocean was full of fish and miraculously we could now catch them. Captain Rickenbacker eventually retired, lives in Florida, and every Friday night for the rest of his life until he died in 1973, he would go for a walk on the beach with a bucket full of shrimp. And the seagulls would gather around him. He would feed them all until the bucket was empty. He did this in memory, in gratefulness and thankfulness for the seagull that gave its life so the rest of his crew and himself could survive. Let's all stand together. Are you glad you came to church today, everybody? Let's go out and make some memorials, some monuments, create some mementos, some things that will help bring us right back to the miracles that God has done in our life, knowing it'll build our faith and encourage us for the next miracle that we're gonna need until he comes again, amen. Pastor Robert, will you come and please close us out today? That's awesome message. Thank you, Pastor Matthew. That's a very beneficial message. Thank you. Um, you know, human nature is you forget. It's on. Hallelujah. See how patient I am? I didn't freak out. Remember Pastor Joe got upset when it didn't work? I didn't. <laughs> you know, human nature is you just forget after you get out of trouble right? I'm not talking about in college when you drank too much and swore up and down you wouldn't drink again. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some real serious God things that you made some promises and God delivered you and human nature is you just forget. You just move on to the next crisis. So at this time, I just want you as I'm speaking to see if anything comes up in your spirit. And as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, uh, Next month will be uh, 24 months since I had open heart surgery. I went in for a stint and was supposed to go speak at the young professionals. And he pulled the little catheter out, says, you're not going anywhere. I, he said, we're going to have to cut you open. I said, well, then can I go speak? He said, I said no, you're going to be in the hospital about two weeks. And I passed by UT Southwest another day, and I started remembering that some of the things that I had told God I would do. And I've done a lot of them and made some changes where I felt I needed to change, but there's some things still left undone, and I had to remember that. And I stopped and thanked him for delivering me. Thank you that I got an awesome church body that prayed me out of that and had a quick recovery, and I'm out walking and jogging and lifting weights. Well, 
little bit of weights, just very little, very little weights. But those are the kind of things that's what I remember, you know, a memorial, remember what God got you through and what God gave you. In Deuteronomy 8, it says, the reason you're in trouble, children of Israel, is because you did not thank me or remember what I did for you. You have forgotten. What we want to pray is that we don't forget, that we remember. That's so good what y'all do at the house and that. And remember, that that's pleasing to the Lord. All he wants is to thank him for what he did. So let's just pray. If there's anything in your past that you want to kind of restart, that you remember you promised, no matter what it was, maybe you were sick and he got you out of it. Maybe you promised something financially and you haven't paid your vow. You, you asked God for a job and he gave it to you and you forgot him or you asked for a spouse and you know now you take all that for advantage. advantage. Um, so, so there's many things that you can think of. I just want to take a minute and don't rush out because this, this message was very timely. God's done so much for our church in 30 years. There's so many things that he got us out of as a church and as individuals. I know many of your stories. And I think it displeases the Lord when we don't thank him. And that's really all he's looking for is for you to be thankful for what he's done for you in the past. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, just stir up our memory. If there's anything we need to correct at this point, Lord, I pray that you give us that grace to do so and to make the necessary changes internally. So we do thank you, Lord, for all the things you've given us, more than we can mention in this moment. Our church, our church body, our pastors, Joe and Nancy, and you've kept them healthy, and there's been car accidents and surgeries and but yet you've kept them leading us and we want to thank you for that first and foremost. So Lord, as we leave here today, I just pray that this message continue to uh, be brought up in our memory and let us be a thankful people, a people that offer up thanksgiving to you as a sacrifice. In Jesus' name, his mighty name, amen. Well, at this point, we're going to dismiss. Our altar team is here to pray for any needs. Thank you for coming. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to dive deeper into today's message, go to trinitydallas.com forward slash sermons to receive your copy of the notes. If today's message encouraged you, do someone else a favor and share it with them. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A special shout out to all those who partner with us through their giving. Your contributions have enabled us to touch the lives of people in our community, as well as around the globe. Visit us at trinitydallas.com forward slash give to partner with what God is doing through Trinity Dallas. God bless.